0: All right, this week I am covering the Moore's murders. Have you ever heard of those? Never. They're really bad. Oh. And coconut. Yes. I'm gonna give a little disclaimer on this episode. There's another one later on. But if you um I I mean, it's never a good thing to uh enjoy listening to bad things happening to people, such as murder. But I know some people are very sensitive to uh crimes against children, and this episode covers crimes against children and they're very bad. So if you can't handle that, just come back next week. Let's buckle up. Okay. <laughs> ian brady was born in glasgow scotland as ian duncan stewart on january 2nd in 1938 his mother's name was margaret peggy stewart the identity of brady's father was never really reliably determined but he was never in the picture stewart had little support and so after a few months she was forced to give her son up for adoption mary and john sloan a local couple with four children of their own took um, Brady into their care and he took their family name. His mother continued to visit him throughout his childhood. Various authors have stated uh, as they write about his life that he tortured animals. Um, but he has always denied this, that he never tortured animals as a kid. At age nine, he visited Loch Lomond with his family, the Sloanes, where he reportedly discovered an affinity for the outdoors and a few months later, family moved to a new estate at Pollock and he had to leave that all behind. Once he got there, he started to struggle in school behaviorally, but he was very intelligent, like genius level IQ. In that time growing up, he is reported to only have had one girlfriend, which ended very quickly as he threatened her with a knife after he found out she went to a dance with another boy. By 17, he was placed on probation for breaking and entering. And as a part of that probation, he was sent to live with his mother rather than his adopted family. Bad boy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At the time, she was living in Manchester and was married to a man named Patrick Brady. This is where Ian Brady gets his surname. He got in trouble not long after moving to Manchester, violating his parole due to embezzlement charges, and was sent to a borstal for training as part of his sentencing. He was released not long after that, I think about two years, after being found very drunk.
1: A borstal?
0: Borstal. I'm imagining that's like a training camp, like a correctional facility.
1: Hmm. Um, we have the technology we do. Borstal, a custodial institution for youthful offenders.
0: Yep. He's there for about two years. Then once he was released, he decided he was going to try to better himself by reading excessively. He would read alone in his room for hours. The The pieces of literature he would consume included uh, German like language books to learn how to speak and read German, Mein Kampf, and other Nazi propaganda.
1: Oh goodness, at first I was like, yeah, that's pretty good, and then no. In January of
0: 1959, Brady applied for and was offered a clerical job at Millwards, which was a wholesale chemical distribution company based in Gorton. He was regarded by his colleagues as quiet, punctual, but also very short-tempered. Myra Henley was born in Crumpsall on July 23rd of 1942 and raised in Gorton. At the time, it was a working class area of Manchester. Her parents, Nellie and Bob Henley, the later being an alcoholic, beat her regularly when she was a young child. The family house was in poor conditions and Henley was forced to sleep in a single bed next to her parents' double bed. It only got worse from there when Henley's sister Maureen was born. And about a year later when Henley was five, uh, she was sent to live with her grandmother nearby. Myra's father was notoriously hard on her and he had been known in the army as a hard man. He expected his daughter to be as tough as he was and he taught her to fight, insisting that she stick up for herself. When Hindley was eight, a local boy scratched her cheek, drawing blood, and she started to cry and ran to her father, who threatened to leather her if she did not retaliate. Hindley found the boy and knocked him down with a series of punches. She would later write that at eight years old, she scored her first victory.
1: Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Damn. So he was like, you better fix this yourself.
0: Or I'm going to beat you. Yeah. With a leather strap. Or whip Which, or whatever. I mean,
1: like I'm all for teaching your kids if somebody punches you, you punch them back. Kind like of defend thing. yourself, yeah. yeah. But I never beat my kid for not doing that. Holy no. Shit. Nope.
0: Henley's first job was a junior clerk at a local electrical engineering firm. She was really well liked there, and um, at 17, while working there, she began she became engaged. Several months later, though, she called it off after deciding that that young man was immature and was not able to provide her with the life she wanted. Hinley began taking weekly judo lessons at a local school, but found that her partners were reluctant to train with her, as she was often slow to release her grip on them. She took a job uh, at Bratby and Hinchliffe, an engineering company again, which was in Gorton, but she was dismissed for absenteeism after six months, so she called off too much. <laughs> Eventually, she landed a job at Millard's, as a typist in 1961, this is the plant that Brady worked at. It was there that she became obsessed with him. She kept a diary of her infatuation with him, though she was seeing other men at the time. Finally, in July of that year, they started to speak at work, and by December of that year, they went on their first date. They went and saw a movie, went back to Brady's place for German wine, where he shared all of his books with Ooh, Hindley. Ooh,
1: German wine.
0: In the weeks that followed, they spent their lunch breaks together, reading aloud to each other Nazi atrocities.
1: Oh, see, this is, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm so romantic. It's not. And then like another spouting Nazi propaganda, I'm like, oh goodness.
0: Yes, so they were reading Nazi atrocities to each other, and if you don't know what that is, it's basically just recounting horrible, awful things that Nazis did to people. And
1: they were like, wow, in the park. I love well, you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Despite Hindley growing up as a very devout Catholic, within a matter of months, Brady had convinced her that there was no God. She was later quoted saying, he could have told me that the earth was flat, the moon was made of green cheese, and the sun rose in the west. I would have believed him. Such was his power of persuasion. We're going to touch on that at the end, her saying that he could have convinced her of anything. He didn't have as much power over her as she claims he did. As time went on, they withdrew themselves more from their colleagues and more into each other. They started frequenting the library to find more books along the same vein. Once Henley got her driver's license, they began offering a hired van service, which they had originally planned uh, bank robberies for. At the same time, Henley began taking shooting classes and was able to purchase a forty five and thirty-eight caliber gun. Their plans for bank robberies never came to fruition, but instead they took a liking to photography. At first, it was just explicit pictures of each other. Then the subject matter became more sinister. By 1963, the two were living together, and Brady began to discuss the idea of the perfect murder with Henley. It didn't take long for them to commit their first murder together. The rest of the episode, essentially, is going to talk about the dis. Uh, the kidnap assault and murder of children buckle up after work one day brady told henley to drive a borrowed van around while he followed on his motorcycle when he spotted a likely victim he would flash his headlight this began their mo and deadly game brady saw a young girl and signaled henley who did not stop because she recognized the girl as an eight-year-old neighbor of her mother sometime after 7:30 that night brady signaled henley to stop for 16 year old pauline reed a schoolmate of Hinley's sister, Maureen. She was on her way to a dance. Hindley offered Reed a lift. At various times, Henley gave conflicting statements about the extent to which she versus Brady was responsible for Reed being selected first. But she said that there would be less attention given to the disappearance of a teenager rather than an eight-year-old.
1: I think it's, it's eerie that the first victim she knew pretty personally, and she was like anyone but her.
0: Mm-hmm. Once Reed was in the van, Henley asked her to help in searching Saddleworth Moore for an expensive glove. Reed agreed and they drove there. Remember, this girl knew and trusted Myra because she was friends with her sister. When Brady arrived on his motorcycle, Henley told Reed he would be there he would be helping in the search. Henley later claimed that she waited in the van while Brady took Reed onto the Moor. The Moors is this incredibly vast and desolate open space where Brady and Henley took their victims. It is massive. It is like a big, huge, open, empty field called the Moors. M-O-R-S-E? M-O-O-R. It's just literally big,
1: oh, yeah. open,
0: never-ending space. It's like desolate. Yeah, and they're going there at night taking these children in there basically into the middle of nowhere. Brady returned alone after about 30 minutes and took Hindley to the spot where Reed lay dying. Reed's clothes were in disarray and she had been nearly decapitated by two cuts to the throat, including a four-inch incision across her voice box which was inflicted with considerable force and into which the collar of her coat and a throat chain had been pushed. So it's like completely sliced open and he was so rough that like her coat got tough, like stuck into the big wound on her throat. When Hinley asked Brady whether he had raped Reed, Brady replied, of course I did. Henley stayed with Reed while Brady retrieved a spade he had hidden nearby on a previous visit, then returned to the van while Brady buried Reed. In Brady's account, Henley was not only present for the attack, but participated in the sexual assault. So she's saying, I stayed in the van the whole time. He's saying, oh no, she was there. She helped kill her and she helped rape her. That's a common theme. (sighs) It was not long before they played their game again and they found their next victim. In the early evening of uh, November 23rd, At a marketplace, Brady and Henley offered 12-year-old John Kilbride a lift home, saying his parents might worry that he was out so late. They also promised him a bottle of sherry. Once Kilbride was inside Henley's hired Ford Anglia car, Brady said they would have to make a detour to their home for the sherry. En route, he suggested another detour, this time to search for a glove Henley had lost on the moor. Kilbride was happy to be a big help to them since they had offered him a safe ride. When they reached the moor, Brady took Kilbride with him while Henley waited in the car. Brady sexually assaulted Kilbride and tried to slit his throat with the six-inch serrated blade before strangling him with a shoelace because the blade was not sharp enough.
1: Do you see my face right now? Yes. Oh, we're going to take a detour. I forgot the sherry at my house. Huh. I take another detour. I lost a glove. You wouldn't let me find it? Mm-hmm. No. He's oh, a twelve
0: that a twelve year old boy though, back so, in the sixties. Yeah, I hope you find a glove, mister. He's like, no problem, you're giving me a safe ride home. And no. And then he strangled him with a the shoelace. Oh. They took a short hiatus until their next murder, a little over half a year. Early in the evening of June 16th of the following year, Henley asked twelve year old Keith Bennett, who was on his way to his grandmother's house in Longsight, for help in loading some boxes into her mini pickup, after which she said she would drive him home. Brady was in the back of the van. Henley drove to a lay-by on saddleworth Moor. Brady went off with Bennett, supposedly looking for Henley's lost glove again. After about 30 minutes, Brady returned alone, carrying a spade that he had hidden, and in response to Henley's questions, said that he had sexually assaulted Bennett and strangled him with a piece of string. This next one is really hard and i was going to have you listen to the tape but i don't even like listening to the tape so i'm not going to make you listen to the tape okay this next one is especially difficult there were photos taken of this little girl leading up to her death while she was being tortured and she was recorded on tape by myra and ian
1: oh fuck no
0: (laughs) on this tape you can hear her cry for her mother brady and henley visited a fun fair in Ancoats on december 26th the day after Christmas, and noticed that 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey was apparently alone. They approached her and deliberately dropped some shopping they were carrying, then asked her help in taking the packages to their car and then to Wardle Brook Avenue. At the house, Downey was undressed, gagged, and forced to pose for photographs before being raped and killed, perhaps also strangled with a piece of string. How old is she? 10. Hinley later maintained that she was filling a bath for Downey and then found her dead when she returned. Brady claimed that Henley killed Downey. following morning, Brady and Henley drove Downey's body to Saddleworth Moor and buried her, naked with her clothes at her feet, in a shallow grave. Yeah. Fuck. Damn. And, and that's why I'm not going to make you listen to the tape, because it is really sad. Oh. You can hear her crying, and you can hear Myra Henley being very cruel to her on the tape. Like screaming at her telling her to stop crying just making her feel more afraid and they took photographs of that girl naked and bound a 10 year old girl
1: children it's so hard too because like they don't even know
0: they she probably didn't even know what this meant what they were even no they have no con most most children don't have a concept of any form of sex at 10 years old some do but they still shouldn't have to understand it in this way so innocent Right. They don't... They still believe it's only about love and family most of the time, yeah. you know?
1: Oh, my God. The sl- they're so skeezy. They're
0: disgusting.
1: To be like, oh, we dropped our groceries. You're such a nice, kind girl. Come help us. And now we're going to yep. torture you until those you. those little boys
0: young man could you help me find my glove a few months later on the evening of october 6th henley drove brady to manchester central railway station where she waited outside in the car while he chose a victim after a few minutes brady reappeared in the company of 17 year old edward evans an apprentice engineer who lived in Ardwick, to whom he introduced henley as his sister They drove to Brady and Henley's home at Wardlebrook Avenue, where they relaxed over a bottle of wine. At some point, Brady sent Henley to fetch Smith, who was her brother-in-law. Henley's family did not approve of her sister's marriage to him, uh, as he had several criminal convictions, including actual bodily harm and housebreaking. The first of which wounding with intent occurred when he was only 11. Throughout the previous year, Brady had been cultivating a friendship with Smith who had become in awe of Brady, something that really worried Hindley as she felt it compromised their safety. It is speculated that he was brought in for this murder as a sort of grooming process or to get rid of him within the family through through blackmail. Hindley returned with Smith and told him to wait outside for her signal, a flashing light. When the signal came, Smith knocked on the door and was met with Brady, who asked if he had come for the miniature wine bottles, and left him in the kitchen, saying that he was going to collect the wine. In the end, it is Smith who helps bring about the end of Henley and Brady. Smith later told the police, "'I waited about a minute or two, "'and then suddenly I heard a hell of a scream. "'It sounded like a woman, really high-pitched. "'Then the screams carried on, "'one after another, really loud. "'Then I heard Myra shout, Dave, help him. "'When I ran in, I just stood inside the living room, "'and I saw a young lad. "'He was lying with his head and shoulders on the couch, His legs were on the floor. He was facing upwards. Ian was standing over him, facing him, with his legs on either side of the young lad's legs. The lad was still screaming. Ian had a hatchet in his hand. He was holding it above his head, and he hit the lad on the left side of his head with the hatchet. I heard the blow. It was a terrible, hard blow. It sounded horrible. So he watched this guy drop a hatchet on this 17-year-old boy's head.
1: Who is this guy?
0: This is Hinley's brother-in-law, who until now was not involved in any way didn't even know what he was there for in the first place and he has a criminal record from when he was like a kid
1: well not like murder and none
0: of it was murder it yeah. was like beating somebody up and break into a house yeah Smith then watched Brady throttle Evans with a length of electrical cord Brady sprained his ankle in the struggle and Evans' body was then too heavy for Smith to carry to the car on his own so they wrapped it in a plastic sheet and put it in the spare bedroom Smith agreed to return the following morning with his baby's pram to use to transport the body in the car to the car before disposing of it on the moor. He arrived home at around 3 a.m. and asked his wife to make a cup of tea, which he drank before vomiting and telling her everything he witnessed.
1: Yeah, it's when the shock wears off.
0: He was like, okay, I'm good, gotta let you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at six in the morning, having waited for daylight and arming himself with a screwdriver and a bread knife in case Brady was planning to intercept him, Smith called the police from a phone box on the estate. He was picked up by a police car from the phone box and taken to the police station where he told officers what he had witnessed the night before. When the police arrived to the house, Hindley answered the door and they asked if her husband was home. She said initially she didn't have a husband and there was no man in the house. When they asked to come in, Brady was sitting on the couch writing his employer about his ankle injury. The police then told them they were investigating an accusation of gun violence in the home and wanted to look around. Henley refused to hand over the key to the locked bedroom where Edward's body was in, but Brady made her hand over the key. Once the police emerged from the room, Brady was arrested. Henley was not initially arrested, but demanded to go with Ian.
1: How do you, if he was hacking this boy up on the couch, how do you walk in and see him on the couch and not be like, yeah, there's blood everywhere?
0: i don't unless know unless they
1: did and we're like we need a little more
0: yeah like yeah we're investigating gun violence we're gonna look around yeah police searching the house on Wardlebrook brook avenue found an old exercise book with the name john kilbride which made them suspect that brady and Hinley had been involved in the disappearances of other children brady told police that he and evans had fought but insisted that he and smith Hinley's brother-in-law that they brought in um had murdered evans together and So that,
1: they're thinking that the brother-in-law who witnessed this and then told police is the suspect
0: well they're trying to make him out to be the suspect they are they're trying to bring him down with them yeah he said that Hinley had only done what she had been told smith said that brady had asked him to return anything incriminating such as dodgy books which brady then packed into suitcases he had no idea what else the suitcases contained or where they might be though he mentioned that brady had a thing about railway stations a search of left luggage offices turned up The suitcases at Manchester Central Railway Station on October 15. The claim ticket was later found in Henley's prayer book. Inside one of the cases were among an assortment of costumes, notes, photographs, and negatives. Nine pornographic photographs taken of the 10-year-old girl Downey, naked with a scarf tied across her mouth. And a 16-minute tape of the girl identifying herself as Leslie Ann Weston, screaming, crying, and pleading to be allowed to return home to her mother. Downey's mother later confirmed that the recording was of her daughter.
1: Oh, yeah. good lord. I would kill them. I would kill them. Yeah. Officers
0: making inquiries at neighboring houses spoke to 12-year-old Patricia Hodges, who had on several occasions been taken to Saddleworth Moor by Brady and Henley and was able to point out their favorite sights along the road. Police immediately began to search the area and on the 16th of October found an arm bone protruding from the peat which was presumed at first to be Kilbride's, but the next day it was identified as Downey, the 10-year-old girl, whose body was still visually identifiable. Her mother was able to identify the clothing, which was also buried in her grave. On the 21st of October, they found the badly decomposed body of Kilbride, which had to be identified by the clothing. The same day, already being held for the murder of Evans, Brady and Henley appeared by Hyde Magistrate's court charged with Downey's murder. Each was brought before the court separately and remanded into custody for a week. They made a two-minute appearance on the 28th of October and were again remanded into custody. They both died in prison. They got they got life in prison without the possibility of parole. For years, they would go back and forth and Henley would say, oh, like, he manipulated me. I only did those things because I was afraid. And the biggest incriminating piece of evidence that that was a crock of shit was hearing her voice on the tape being cruel to yeah. that little girl while they were torturing her. Um, and Brady was just he was a genius like he was very intelligent so he did a lot of interviews kind of like edmund kemper mm. while he was in prison and he he talked a lot basically trying to make his own mind Kampf book i guess speculation and trying to make himself seem like he was some enlightened man and that's why he did the things that he did myra actually gained followers like people that truly believed she was just a victimized woman and wanted her released like sympathizers they still oh, exist today no. they still exist today
1: hell. No. Fuck that.
0: I could have... This was... I was telling you in the last episode that this could have ended up being, like, a three episode because there is so much information about that, but I literally, like, it's hitting home really hard as of late, this sort of thing, and so I could not do that.
1: Yeah. I'm glad... (laughs) that like we cover this episode because a lot of times like even andy my family gets mad at me for doing this but i'm willing to help anybody sadly like that happens more often than that like yeah. there's always some sinister objective yeah and i would totally be the pr- like if some older couple dropped all their groceries and was like oh can you help us carry this to our car i would do it
0: i told i told my brother the other day i said We were talking about ways that people will trick people. They'll play on, like, the empathy that you have for other human beings, being a human yourself. I said they will put baby car seats on the side of the road, like, on really, like, empty, middle-of-nowhere roads to get you to stop, especially women, Mm -hmm. to get you to stop and go out and check the car seat. And then the second you get out of the car, somebody's either taken your car or they're attacking you. Or they'll use women. Like, sex trafficking schemes, they'll use women to come and, like, beat down your door at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning saying she needs help, she's being attacked, and then the second you open your door, like, you're ambushed or you're taken or you're killed. And
1: that's so hard, because I would definitely open my door, and I'd be like, okay, come on, like, get in here. Yeah. And, because I would also have a thought, like, yeah, I can always call the cops, but is she going to be dead by the time they get here?
0: Yeah. It's hard. It puts you between a rock and a hard place. Same with, like, the um, Vincent story where she was running down the street with her arms chopped off, like, naked and bloody, just yeah. looking for someone to help her, and nobody's, like, it took, like, three cars before somebody would stop. I don't know that I would have stopped, you know? Yeah. How do I know this isn't just some, like, someone who's a pre-existing amputee, and she's just a, a goat for, you know, mm-hmm. somebody else? How do I know this is real? Yeah.
1: This world is fucked up And that's me
0: as an adult. Imagine a child who doesn't you know, like sure, teach your children that there are bad people in the world that teach Haley all the time. But they're not gonna be able to recognize it the way you will. I can't tell you how many times I've told Haley something twenty times and she still will not recognize it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because she's a kid. They're not they're not supposed to have to recognize that stuff. And that's not me being paranoid. Like you cannot be too paranoid. Yeah. In today's world. You couldn't even do it then in the 60s when all these kids were taken and brutally murdered. Assaulted and then brutally murdered for the sexual pleasure of two absolute assholes. Just imagine how much worse it is now. People have to be more creative now, which means it's only worse. So, with that being said, fuck pedophiles. Agreed. And if you are a sympathizer, why are you here? I
1: don't think anyone's a sympathizer.
0: See some, You see I,
1: something, say something.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I, you'd be surprised. There was a man I used to work with at my old office who said some not so great things about 15, 16, and even 14 year old girls that people hide what they think is okay if they know it's going to be met with displeasure. And that's scary. Shit. I know.
1: God, that hurts me. I know.
0: Like I would end someone's life. Oh. If they even thought about hurting Haley let alone someone else's child like I'd kill any an anybody instant. for your children in like
1: in, yes in an instant like I, I like to think I would fight pretty hard for myself but you that you better bet that maternal rage would kick in
0: prison time be damned send me to prison oh, forever I don't care. go literally,
1: ahead like if you go to prison and you're like okay like you didn't like sexually assault children what did you people,
0: what are you in for I killed a rapist
1: yeah they'd be like
0: I killed a pedophile.
1: Good good job. Yeah, Here's an extra toothbrush.:
0: Yep. We got your back. Nobody's yeah. shanking you. Don't worry about it. So sorry, that was really heavy, but uh, there are so many stories like that, it's not even funny. Mm. At some point, I'll cover the West Memphis Three, which is also children, and also horrific. Oh, hug your kids. Yes. Protect your kids
1: that's why i don't shit on people that have like child leashes and stuff like that
0: i think that's genius i
1: think it's great yeah it means those you can, little you like can look wrist... away for a second yeah. do not have to worry about the being yeah. snatched. the little
0: wristbands or the little the harnesses with the leash it's genius mm-hmm. it's genius because you can't yeah. it can literally happen that fast mm-hmm. even in your own backyard
1: our plugs are crumb in the coconut gmail instagram what else uh,
0: not on twitter
1: Twitter is c i t c podcasts with an S. Find us on all major platforms. Facebook, Crime in the Coconut. Oh yeah, I forgot about the Facebook page. Send us suggestions, whatever you want. Feedback, I don't care. I'm all sad. I know, I'm sorry.
0: It's okay. (laughs) Can't make, this one's really not funny. You can't can't play humor into this one.
1: Yeah. Alright, I'm gonna go cry and take a nap.
0: Punch a local pedophile.
1: Yep, bye. Bye.